Pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So every year, November begins with two very important Christian holy days. November 1 is All Saints Day, and November 2 is All Souls Day. Protestants always get them all mixed up. Even I, uh, allegedly a professional theologian, had to look it up to remind myself. November 1 is All Saints Day, an occasion to commemorate the blessed and beautiful lives of those who, by pure and blameless conduct, have already achieved pure and sweet communion with God, God's self. For the saints, there is nothing further to be said or done other than to thank God for the unmerited gift of their example. November 2 is All Souls Day when we pray for those who have not yet quite achieved perfect, sweet communion with God. Having lived good but not exemplary lives, having missed the opportunity, for example, to get their heads chopped off by Nero or hung by Hitler, these departed souls are still making their slow and halting way through purgatory. Their souls are being purged, hence the word purgatory, if it helps pronounce it purgatory. Their souls are being purged, purified, perfected prepared for perfect, sweet communion with God. So, choose your metaphor. The saints are the spiritual aristocracy and the souls of the serfs. The saints are the varsity and the souls of the JV. The saints have achieved their destination, sitting on the beach in Miami. The souls are languishing in the Atlanta airport, waiting out one canceled flight after another, an apt metaphor for purgatory if there ever was one. To keep these two Catholic holy days straight in his mind, a Presbyterian friend of mine reminds himself that they arrive in alphabetical order, all saints on November 1 and all souls on November 2. Now, of course, Protestants don't believe in purgatory, so the distinction is lost on us, glued fast to the lofty idea of salvation by grace, not works. Protestants don't believe that even the saints have earned their perfect, sweet communion with God. It isn't by anything they have done, but rather by something that Jesus has done on the cross. And he was no respecter of persons. He loved the prostitute as much as the priest. And so that St. Lawrence, grilled alive for his faith, and Debbie Janata, fallen asleep, finally, after a long and Herculean battle against disease, are both in the same place in the bosom of Abraham. Actually, both concepts, saints and souls, are kind of indistinct and murky ideas for us 21st century rationalists, aren't they? They have both, souls and saints, kind of fallen into a bland and benign obsolescence. They're sort of moldy and musty with age. Someone, I forget who, but someone said, we used to go to our priests to save our souls now we go to our therapists to find ourselves. It's kind of a diminished spiritual expectation, right? We don't think much, much about our souls, and we really don't look to the saints for inspiration on how to live our lives. All saints, all souls, what we want are all stars, right? We want Derek Jeter's autograph, or perhaps better just now, Madison Bumgarner. 
We want to watch the stars on the red carpet. We want to catch a glimpse of Tom Brady and his sexy squeeze. We want to be Jay Cutler, at least when he's not playing football, because he gets Kristen Cavallari. I mean, who wants to be Dietrich Bonhoeffer? Look what happened to him. You won't believe this, but once in the Woolworths in Princeton, Brooke Shields asked me where the shampoo was. Brooke Shields. This was in 1984. I still remember it. And our whole culture is awash in this star adulation. You know, TMZ and Entertainment Tonight, Hollywood Access, People, Vanity Fair, American Idol, Dancing with the Stars. With the stars. Washed up, has-been sitcom stars. And so we have diminished spiritual expectations in self-improvement, in character building, in moral courage, in integrity. Our aspirations are what you might call at best modest. Now, there's a reason we call them stars, right? Like the real ones, they sparkle and shine. They're bright. They're hot. Internal combustion at the core keeps them aflame. They can fill arenas built for 10,000 people and make every last spectator feel known and loved. We bask in the glow of the light of the stars. Saints, of course, are different from stars. Like stars, saints throw light, but the light shines through them not from them. Saints have no fuel inside them. They have no internal combustion. Their energy is external to their being. Saints are less like stars than the moon, than like the moon. Saints throw a softer, gentler gleam because they bask in the glow of a reflected glory, the glory of the sun, S-O-N, the brilliance at the center of the sprawling cosmos. Saints magnify, focus, and intensify Jesus' burning radiance like those little plastic magnifying glasses you used to set leaves on fire with from the light of the sun when you were a kid. They're transparent or translucent. They call no attention to themselves but coax you instead to attend to the light behind and beyond them the light at the center of the universe. So forget the stars. Let us attend to our local saints. You know, Phil Jones taught us everything we need to know about compassion and about the gentle, loving touch. A white knight in a white coat, said one of the patients whose life, life he saved more than once. A white knight in a white coat, or a white saint in a white robe is the way the book of Revelation pictures it. Bo Whittlesey, with all his quirks and oddities, taught me a great deal about faithfulness. You know, he couldn't carry a tune in a Patagonia backpack, but there he was every Sunday, belting out those Kyrie's and Gloria's and Dona Nobis's with vim and vigor and bone-deep faithfulness. And Debbie Janata 
taught me everything I need to know about courage, about thanking God for every gratuitous hour of existence God will grant you in the teeth of a killing illness. And three more that Joe Forrest reminded me about this last week. Franklin Bellows, Purcell Macklin, and Monier Ware. They were part of our congregation too long ago for any of us to know or remember them, but they attended Sunday school here at Kenilworth Union. And when they grew up to be young men, they enlisted in the United States Army and lost their lives in Europe during World War II. And during this year when we are being inundated with reminders about the 100th anniversary of the commencement of hostilities in Europe, I thought it might be a good idea for us to remember them. Franklin Bellows graduated from New Trier High School in 1913 and then matriculated at Northwestern University. But a month before his graduation, President Wilson declared war on Germany, and so Mr. Bellows immediately enlisted at Fort Sheridan. He was the only member of his Northwestern graduating class to receive his diploma in uniform. On September 13, 1918, he was flying a reconnaissance mission behind Germany line, German lines when his plane was hit by anti-aircraft fire. The plane was badly damaged. The pilot managed to land the plane safely in friendly territory, but Mr. Bellows took three bullets and died in his plane. For his heroism, General Pershing awarded Lieutenant Bellows the Distinguished Service Cross. Bellows Air Force Station in Hawaii is named after him. Purcell Macklin was 18 years old when the United States declared war on Germany and therefore too young to join our armed forces, so he joined up with the British Royal Flying Corps instead. And on May 30, 1918, witnesses saw his plane go down out of control behind German lines. For a long time, nobody knew if he was captured or killed. But a while later, a German pilot dropped a notice among the American troops telling them that Lieutenant Macklin had been buried in French soil near Amiens. And Manier Barlow Ware graduated from New Trier High School in 1913 and the University of Illinois in 1917. As soon as he finished his classes, he enlisted in the U.S. Army. In October 12, 1918, his unit, Company K of the 362nd Infantry, 91st Division, was ordered to mop up a German machine gun nest and Lieutenant Ware was killed. He is buried in Meuse-Argonne Cemetery for American Soldiers in France. October 12, 1918. Exactly 30 days from armistice. 30 days from peace and home. In 1930, our forebears decided that these three former Kenilworth Union Sunday School students were three of our local saints and memorialized them with these beautiful windows in the transept that you probably walk by every Sunday without noticing. And when you pass through here on your way out, notice two things about them. 
Notice the prominence of the poppies. And notice that the light doesn't shine from them, but through them. These three men had no internal combustion. Their energy came from beyond them. The light of the world shines through them. Writes St. John of the Apocalypse from his lonely, stony prison on the island of Patmos, thinking of all the brave heroes who taught him how to live the Christian life. After this I looked and there was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation and tribe and people and tongue standing before the throne robed in white singing salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. Then someone asked, who are these robed in white and where have they come from? And the answer comes, these are they who have gone through the great tribulation They have washed their robes white in the blood of the Lamb. They will hunger and thirst no more. The sun will not strike them, nor any scorching heat. And God, God's self, will wipe away every tear from their eyes. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.